Welcome to Therapedia, a podcast brought to you by two therapists and friends who believe that mental health awareness and coping tools are for everyone. I'm Jen, and I'm a marriage and family therapist working in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Adriana, and I'm a clinical psychologist working in group practice in the Pacific Northwest. On our podcast, we provide helpful tips, tricks, and coping skills for personal mental health wellness. It is not a substitute to your regular mental or medical health practices or providers. If you're listening to this and feel you're experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911 or go to your local emergency room. Please be aware that at two different points in the podcast, we will be doing mindfulness and or meditation-based exercises. Feel free to skip these if you're driving. Hey there, and welcome to Therapedia, the podcast. Adriana and I are here for an episode all about DBT, or dialectical behavior therapy, And this is a crash course in the four main components of DBT and also some specific coping skills. Mm -hmm. We are happy to have you here. And we hope that this is both informative and also somewhat applicable. We were talking about the topics that kind of right now felt most relevant. And Jen and I both decided that in dribs and drabs, either way, if you pick even just one piece of what we're going to talk about, we think it's probably helpful. Never heard the term dribs or drabs. I mean, I, oh. <laughs> I obviously figured it out in context, but that's cute. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think there's really no end to the benefit of learning how to think dialectically and to behave and respond from a dialectical mindset. So yeah. if you want a quick history about DBT, I did a mini-sode last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not actually last week for me right now, so it's kind of confusing. But I did a mini-sode last week mm-hmm. about kind of the underpinnings of DBT and just what it means to think dialectically. So we'll talk a little bit about that today. But if you want a little bit more of understanding about that before diving in, I recommend that little mini-sode. Mm-hmm. So as we always do, let's go ahead and take a minute to check in. So Adriana, what's up? How are you? I already know the answer, but. (laughs) Well, if you can hear me, you'll notice I sound interesting. I have been fully vaccinated for a while and for whatever reason, continue to keep my mask on. I went out um, for the first time, like out to a lunch over the weekend and the next day just got so ill. So I've been at home, I've been powering through sessions. And this is the one time both as a mental health provider, but also just as a working adult that I'm really grateful to have had telehealth as an option. A, because I would never want my clients to get what I have, but also because I can get up from my desk, walk 10 steps and go fall asleep. So I've been really grateful for that. What else is going on? I have been waiting for two of my favorite drag queens who are a duo, Trixie and Katya, to go on tour. And it was affected by COVID. And I just got tickets for their live tour. It is yes. even 2022. But I'm such a like a loony fan that I did pre-sale and everything to make sure in 2022, I get to see these amazing drag queens. So while I feel crappy, you know, my heart is happy. 
What is um, what do they do on their tour? Is it just like they chat, like they do on their little show? Or that, but also I think I know Trixie Mattel is working on like a third album. Katya just mm. came out with a dance album. They're working on their mm. second book. So I have a feeling Got it's it. gonna be multimedia. Got it. <laughs> I'm excited <Good>. about it. <laughs> You've been listening to too much ASMR. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's not even ASMR. That's just me being silly. But I don't know. uh, I mean, I get it, but not really get it. Anyway, I am good. With regards to COVID, I am starting to look, actually, not just starting to look, I have chosen an office to work in one day a week. And that's really exciting. I started my private practice and then the beginning of the pandemic. So I never ended up getting an office. And now it's like, and I've missed it in some ways. I think yeah. that there's really some benefits to it. On a personal level, I have been like doing a deeper dive into intuitive eating and intuitive movement and really working on that and eating more <laughs> as a result. It tends to be what people do when they start with intuitive eating is actually really listening and responding mm-hmm. to your body more. And I've just been becoming more aware of like hungers and responding to them. And Mm -hmm. it's been good. I am reconnecting with friends and activities. I went to a Giants game last weekend. And how Um, was that? Amazing. We had tickets. We're pretty close and they delivered food to our seats. I know. Well, excuse me. I know. Get out of the way. I am famous. (laughs) I... (laughs) I love it. <laughs> and so there were garlic fries and hot dogs and crab sandwich and all of that just yeah. own coffee just coming to our seats. I am one of those people who I actually like to sit and watch mm-hmm. the game. I don't necessarily want to get up and do a bunch of stuff. I like really love the game. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that happened. And I'm also starting rehearsals for a play in a couple of weeks, which is it's just bananas that this is all happening. It just feels yeah, a little, little surreal, but it's pretty exciting. So cool. And I have to say, just for anybody who hasn't been to a Giants game or like doesn't know the lore of being mm-hmm. at the Giants game, truly like the crab roll and the French fries Garlic and the fries. coffee are like, it's a thing. So there's a reason we're like super excited about French fries. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... <laughs> I mean, I don't feel a need to justify my love for french fries, (laughs) but that being said, the garlic fries at the Giants game are like next level. They burn almost because they're so garlicky. Anyway, so good. Ah, So my soul has been fed with garlic fries. Yeah. So that's me. (laughs) I think you said this last time and it's feeling also applicable today that there's no way to put this in the podcast. It doesn't feel a little awkward, but just a reminder to everyone before we kind of start diving into the nitty gritties, just an ask for to rate review and subscribe to the podcast to allow us to continue bringing this content. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Therapedia Podcast. And our email is therapediapodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And just a kind of an additional reason why we ask this is yes, because it helps us become more visible to other people. And also because, you know, Jen and I do a really good job, I think, of picking topics and bouncing back and forth. And we're now over a year in and I at least can say for myself, I'm sure this is probably true for you, Jen, I would love to know what people want, rather than what yeah. I'm interested in. 
Mm-hmm, right. Because my interest specifically clinically is going to be really different even from Jen's from somebody else's. And so it's one of those things where we are really dedicated to making this content and we want to make sure it's meeting the people's needs. So that's really one of the big reasons why we want that feedback. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So before we dive into the topic, would you mind leading us in a quick grounding? Sure. So wherever you are, if that is sitting in a chair, laying down, you know, possibly like on a bus, wherever it is that you are, as long as you're not driving, I would like you, if it feels safe, to quickly close your eyes, allowing yourself to get comfortable in the moment, as comfortable as possible. And I'd like you to very gently and kindly get curious with yourself about how you're doing in this moment. Not how the day went, not what you have to do after this, but just how am I feeling right now in this moment? That could be taking into account how our bodies feel. That's also taking into account how we feel emotionally, psychologically. And with non-judgment, care and curiosity, taking an inventory of how you're doing right now. And as that answer of how you're doing rises to the surface, I'd like for you to call to mind at least two things you could do to care for yourself after this 50 minute to an hour podcast. So what can you do to care for yourself? Doesn't have to be anything lavish. It could be as small as having a meal, taking a walk, calling someone. But again, just non-judgmentally noting what you could do for yourself based on how you feel. We're going to take three grounding breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. And in through the nose and out through the mouth. And a third. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes if they were closed and become aware of your surroundings. Hi there. Thank you. Hi. So diving into the topic of DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, let's give a brief intro to that for those folks who maybe haven't listened to the mini-sode. And I will just say that the really the core underpinning of dialectical thinking is navigating seemingly opposite ideas or feelings. And that's what it means by dialectic. Dialectic meaning like two, two or more, really. So one of the main things typically for people is being able to recognize and accept things exactly the way that they are, while also recognizing a need for change. 
So in some ways, there's a kind of a gut feeling that you should have to pick between those two. Like I can't accept while I also want to change. But truthfully, and there is some discomfort that comes around kind of navigating the fact that both of those two things that exist at the same time. So that's the core of DBT. And it is a mindfulness-based therapy. Origins of it are also in cognitive behavioral therapy which is really focused on changing behavior as the agent of change in your life. Mm -hmm. Like if you change your behavior, you can change your life. Mm -hmm. I think dialectical behavior also holds, in addition to that, changing your thinking can change your life and changing the way that you feel. Mm -hmm. So originally created by someone named Marsha Linehan, DBT is often, I will say, you know, in parentheses previously, was often thought of as a treatment for folks who were experiencing more what psychologists or any practitioners called character logical issues. So that might be something like a personality disorder or flavors thereof. And this was created by Marshall Linehan after she actually ended up experiencing her own mental health crisis, entering her own experience of living in a mental health facility, and also from her experience living on different Buddhist-based communities. And so what she did was she melded her own experience and what she learned as a mental health provider in kind of a, a mental health institution. She melded that with how can I bring in behavioral modification, mindfulness, and acceptance. And that's kind of how we arrive at this treatment. I'll also say before we move into the kind of four components, While it tends to be a really structured kind of treatment, it's something that, at least for myself as kind of an intersectional psychologist, I bring up probably every day whether or not I call it DBT. Yeah. Yeah. I think I interweave DBT with every single client I have. Can you say why? uh, Yeah. Because the skills apply for everyone and they can meet you at different levels of functioning. So while it was originally designed to help people who were really in crisis or were chronically in crisis, it has now been proven to be helpful for depression, anxiety, substance abuse, basically anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it really has helped, I think, my clients tolerate discomfort without without being self-destructive. And I think it does take a flexibility of thinking and of behavior to be like, this sucks. And what I'm experiencing is really awful, but I can really be measured about how I respond and how I treat myself through it. Mm -hmm. So that is a skill I think we all need. And kind of going into why we're talking about this a little bit more, I think as the world opens up, I think it's just creating a lot of variety of challenges for people. In addition to excitement, like in some ways, I think that that's part of this is just like, it's a little overwhelming to be Mm -hmm. back in the world in a lot of ways. And that can be a positive and a negative thing. But either way, like, how can we still kind of keep some of the lessons, I guess, that the pandemic hopefully taught us around pacing ourselves, being Mm -hmm. aware of the present moment and tolerating distress without making things worse? And I think that was the ask during the pandemic, but now we're in this other transition. All of us are now in this other transition and maybe even arguably dealing with a little bit of PTSD. Mm. All of us. 
mm-hmm. from what we've dealt with for the last year. So how can we kind of go about that and keep ourselves safe and happy and content and at ease? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think Jen said it beautifully. What essentially DBT is, is a number of components that come together to meet both cognitive and behavioral and also interpersonal needs that the person might mm-hmm. have in treatment. So essentially, DBT is broken down into four components. And Jen, if you want, I can start with the first one. Get it. Okay, I will get it. Get so, it. <laughs> so DBT is made up of distress tolerance, mindfulness, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness. So when we look at this first component, distress tolerance, it's made up of all of these other skills that help us essentially tolerate distress or discomfort. And some of those skills are learning radical acceptance. What that means is we don't have to like it. We don't have to agree with it. We can accept that it's happening. Uh, We also might use distraction, self-soothing or grounding, visualizations, which can be done using a cue word if we would like. It could also be a safe space visualization, having a connection to spirituality through a higher power, and coping through self-affirmation and self-affirming statements. I'll also say that under this kind of distress tolerance umbrella, there's also safety planning, which is, at least in my experience, kind of a central part of DBT also, because we know that folks who tend to use it or benefit from it are already in crisis, it can be helpful to develop a safety plan. And when we say crisis, we mean a heightened emotional and psychological experience that we don't feel we can cope with in the moment. And so, for example, I've worked with people for many times who self-harm maybe by hitting themselves. And while they're not maybe harming themselves extremely. It's more about, do we have a plan? And do I know how to tolerate the distress if I want to engage in that kind of behavior? Mm -hmm. And I want to name that each of these four components, distress tolerance, mindfulness, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness builds upon one another. Like I actually, in preparation for this, pulled out my DBT workbook. And it starts with distress tolerance for a reason, because We need to be able to sit with our discomfort long enough to let it pass or let it decrease or allow it to decrease in intensity so that then we can move on to kind of making sense of it and resolving it in some way. But really, the first step is staying safe through extreme discomfort. So for me, the ones that I talk about the most, I think, honestly, the biggest one I, other than safety planning, which is like literally, who are you going to talk to? Where are you going to go if you feel like you're going to hurt yourself or be engaged in some sort of unsafe behavior? But the other one I think I use the most is grounding and self-soothing. And so we've talked about this before and we do it at the top of every podcast, but it's really this ability to get into the present moment and remember that where you are. And there's lots of different ways to do this. You can get grounded using all of your senses So you can hold like some people are tactile and they like hold a grounding object and feel it. For some people, it's listening to a song that helps them to remind them that they're safe. For me, it's really simple and just putting my feet flat on the ground and breathing. And some people also maybe say a statement like, 
I'm safe right now. I can handle whatever is in front of me, even mm-hmm. if it's hard. Like, mm-hmm. so there's just these ways that we can kind of help ourselves stay safe through discomfort. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And the only other thing I would tack onto that is that for clients that I've worked with slash work with currently that have had early childhood trauma or trauma that has made them feel unworthy of care, sometimes self-affirmation or visualizing a safe place, they maybe don't feel worthy of it. And that that's part mm-hmm. of the work. And so sometimes I like to find a more neutral grounding and that would be mm-hmm. Where are we? What time it is? What day is it? And what year it is, or something like that. But to find kind of a more neutral space to ground and affirm ourselves if we don't feel deserving in the moment. The other one that we will talk about throughout this, and we've talked about it many times on the pod too, is Mm -hmm. radical acceptance. I found, like, I'm thinking of a particular client right now who, like, when she finally, like, got what radical acceptance was, she was like just walking around telling everyone about how much it was like just changing her life. And it's something that seems really simple, but is more complicated than I think we give it credit for. Mm -hmm. So it's really this ability to fully acknowledge everything that has happened in the past, including your behavior, the behavior of others, that may have led to this current moment so that we cannot change this current moment. It is Mm -hmm. what it, well, we cannot change the past. We actually can change the present moment. And it's this recognition that we have choices Mm -hmm. within this present moment, even if we don't have choices about the past. Yeah. I was that person three years ago walking around like, have you heard of this? And are you doing it? And do you know what it, you know, like radical acceptance, I think is something that's been really important for me personally, but also Mm -hmm. as a therapist. I'll also say that I've, and this is something in my own therapy, but also with clients, like I noticed that radical acceptance, the words that we say make sense, right? Like, okay, I get what that is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it's the application that I find folks often struggle with because it can feel so amorphous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a good example is someone saying, and this is an example from the book, but I think it happens a lot is like, oh, I'm just angry. This is just who I am. Well, this is just how it is. Well, Mm -hmm. I think ongoing anger that isn't like, you know, related to you being abused or something, right? That is just sitting there and just constantly and creating this maybe tendency to go drink or check out or causing problems in your relationship is an example of maybe not fully being an acceptance of what how things are of being Mm -hmm. like at war with reality. (laughs) And and again, I think you're right that it does feel very amorphous for a lot of people. But when we're even subtly at war with reality, and we haven't fully been like, okay, this is where I am. This is the moment I'm in. And I can only choose what's available to me in this moment. Like a lot of people are like, I wish this hadn't happened. Or I wish, Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to be here. Or I, I hate this. It's like, yes, and this is the way mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so like you said earlier, you don't have to like that. It's not a requirement of radical acceptance to like a situation that you're in, but it certainly helps to kind of get out of the, I don't want this to be, I hate this. I can't take this. Yes. Cause here you are, here you are in reality. Yeah. Just one other thing. 
so I'm working a lot right now just by coincidence with folks and have worked a lot in like the substance use realm with folks who are adult children of emotionally immature parents. And I notice that this is just a theme I'm noticing that radical acceptance is really hard because if, and I am one of those people, if you're raised by someone who was constantly saying no, or like, I don't like this, or you know, just like very emotionally labile and also not attuned with reality, I think radical acceptance can be really difficult slash super freeing. Because Mm -hmm. to see that we don't actually have to be at the whim of our emotions like a small child and we can instead navigate our emotions, I think it creates a lot of agency. And, you know, if we add agency and safety planning, for example, and distress tolerance all together, even just doing that part of DBT would Mm -hmm. be helpful. Uh, Yeah, 100%. Especially if there's big emotions involved. Yeah. So the second core component of DBT is mindfulness. And I'll go through this fairly quickly, but in DBT, they differentiate within mindfulness between the what skills and the how skills. Mm -hmm. So the what skills with relation to mindfulness are basically being able to recognize what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're thinking, doing, what somatic bodily sensations are going on, what urges you have, what judgments you may have. And so it's really just kind of being able to take stock, just Mm -hmm. really like data taking. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, truthfully, this is something they haven't done. They don't necessarily Mm -hmm. sit with themselves long enough or ever (laughs) to be able to realize, you know, what's happening for them moment by moment. Mm -hmm. So so in some examples of ways to practice this are literally just taking a minute and noticing all of your thoughts that go by in a minute, sometimes mm-hmm. even writing them down, and you'll be quite amazed at how much work your brain does. Mm-hmm. Another way to do this is to focus on an object and to just recognize all the qualities of it, what shape it is, what color it is, what size it is. And I think what happens is that people end up, because they're not used to being that focused, start to recognize their mind drifting and I think it's important to recognize where it drifts Mm -hmm. as every thought we have typically has an accompanying emotion and therefore an accompanying behavioral urge or a behavioral pull. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about the how skills? Sure. I do have, and this is a question, not that I actually have, but a listener might have. So Mm -hmm. let's say in the mindful minute, we sit and we notice all of the thoughts that we could have. What do we do if it's overwhelming? Well, first off, I think we recognize that we feel overwhelmed. Great. So that is implementing the mindfulness component of just like, and maybe we even give a little bit more words to what the feel, the specific feelings are so that we can kind of parse apart what overwhelm even means. Mm-hmm. We might also take stock of what overwhelm feels like in our bodies. And then I honestly, if that overwhelming feeling is truly overwhelming, I would go back to step one and do some distress tolerance okay. and yeah, and do some grounding and self-soothing. We're not in any place to be productive if our distress is really, really, really high. I often say like a six out of 10 or higher, you should focus on self-soothing, grounding, radical acceptance, staying safe. Yes. Like all of the things that you need to do to reduce your discomfort before you go forward. 
Yes. Thank you. Is that what you think? A hundred percent. And I think the reason I ask that question is because often that's what I get back is, Mm -hmm. well, I hear you telling me what to do and it either sounds scary or I tried it and had a panic attack or, you know, so on and so forth. And that's one of the reasons why DBT is so helpful because it is trying to set us up for success by having skills on the ground level. Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. you can always move between skills. So I just, I wanted to ask that question to kind of model how we might do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So the how skills teach us how to be both mindful and non-judgmental. So they help us on focusing on how things are versus how we think they should be, which is really important. Shoulds are not so helpful. And this might look like wise mind, tracking judgments, engaging in beginner's mind, judgment diffusion, and the use of I statements. So when we, there's a lot of words there, so we'll break it down. (laughs) When we think about being mindful and non-judgmental, often a place that I go that I think can be helpful is asking myself and asking other people, instead of being judgmental, what would it be like to be curious? Because I think curiosity kind of puts us A, in the position of beginner's mind, which is I don't know what I don't know, and I'm Mm -hmm. open to knowing more. It reduces the shoulds because curiosity is different from I should already know this thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's the idea that we don't know and we're open to learning. So I think that's really important to know about that. And also the... Tracking of judgments, beginner's mind, and judgment diffusion are really important because when we think about one's level of distress, it's important, whether conscious or unconscious, to recognize how much of the distress that's being created is being created by our own judgment. Mm-hmm. Did that, I had to close my eyes to say that because I had to really think about what I was saying. Jen, did that track? True. I think we often, people consciously or unconsciously increase their suffering by adding judgment. So, and it could be a positive judgment too. It could be, wow, that person's so amazing. And like, you know, that's a judgment. It's not a bad judgment, but it might also not give us the chance to learn something that's maybe difficult about that person. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways that that judgments, first off, they're there because they often helped us survive. And in the past, that's the Mm -hmm. reason we have judgments. And I think there's a lot of situations in which it doesn't really help us. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of give a little bit more about like what judgment diffusion is, because that's a big, that's a a word. Yeah. And wise mind too. But judgment diffusion is this idea that we, and there's a similar sister skill called thought diffusion, which thought diffusion is being able to watch your thoughts at like, let's say you're sitting and you're practicing mindfulness for a minute and you're just watching your thoughts go by, thought diffusion would be allowing them to just pass by. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes people say like clouds in the sky or leaves in a river. Judgment diffusion is the same thing, but with judgments. Mm -hmm. So being able to recognize the judgments that you have and allowing them to pass by. So we can't do much about our judgments if we're not aware that we're having them. Yes. I think it is important to keep an awareness of it. And like, let's say that you're trying to be mindful and you've chosen to just be focusing on an object and what colors it is and what shapes it is and all that. And you find yourself being like, I like that bird or that bird is pretty on that tapestry or whatever. And 
pretty is a judgment. Big is a judgment. (laughs) So just really being able to recognize something as if you've never seen it before, as if you don't know what pretty is or big or small is like just being able to just experience it exactly the way it is without comparison to something else. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I would tack on to these how skills is coming back to how things are versus how they should be. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's been really important for me as an individual and also as a therapist is educating people on why should is not helpful. So I have a lot of clients who will say to me, okay, I know I shouldn't say should, right? And then that's the only statement they say. They don't really know why should Mm -hmm. is not helpful, but they know it's not helpful. So I was reading something interesting about this kind of language recently, that what should does is it informs the idea that we either aren't doing something correctly enough in the way that other people are doing. And it's interesting, should is linked to more hostile slash uncomfortable ways of treating ourselves and talking to ourselves. And so um, being, I guess, in the now, which is kind of radical acceptance, rather than doing the should, not only will it reduce judgment, much like all these other skills, but you might also notice that the tone or the way that you're engaging with yourself softens because we aren't doing the comparison and we aren't as judgmental. Yes. And I will also add that I like to tell clients, because I think this makes sense, is that should is like could plus shame. Mm. So should implies that there's a right way to do something or a right way to feel or a right way to think. And there isn't, especially when you are feeling something different or are thinking something different. It really is a judgment of yourself. So it really gets in the way. So checking ourselves and being able to notice that is important. So the third component of DBT is emotion regulation. So this is sort of what it sounds like being able to react, or I should say, recognize your emotions and respond to them safely. That's pretty much the bottom line. And A couple of components with this here are being able to, A, reduce your vulnerability to negative emotional states. So that might be making sure you have a good sleep schedule, making sure that you're eating regularly and in a way that feels good in your body. It might be, you know, avoiding toxic use of substances or toxic relationships. So this ability is kind of setting yourself up to be able to have more positive emotions, essentially. And then some of the basics of this one are, you know, again, being non-judgmental with your emotions, tolerating, like exposing yourself to emotions versus trying Mm -hmm. to maybe avoid them. If it's within a tolerable range, like so six or lower, maybe sit with it, maybe Mm -hmm. examine it, maybe get curious about Mm -hmm. it. And you can always apply some self-soothing if it feels like it's feeling uncomfortable. And one of my favorite DBT skills is under the umbrella of emotional regulation, and it's called opposite action. And this skill is really cool because it rewires your brain (laughs) quite literally. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're someone who, for example, often avoids confrontation and yet it's getting in the way of you getting your needs met And there's really no threat. You have people in your life that are pretty cool and understanding, but yet you just can't ask for your needs. And maybe you feel really anxious and fearful. The pull when you feel anxious is to avoid. 
So if there's no threat here, no actual threat, opposite action asks us to go 100% in the other direction. So it's sort of like acting as if you were (laughs) not afraid, but you know, it's still acknowledging that you're afraid, but behaving Mm -hmm. and putting yourself forward in a situation that you might want to avoid. It could also be like, so opposite action can apply to any different emotional state. It's really like reacting the opposite to what you might be pulled to do. So like, let's say you're pulled to be in a relationship, but the person is toxic. Mm. And so in that situation, your opposite action would be like, like not contacting them anymore. Yeah. So it's really rewiring your brain that that other response that you used to engage in isn't needed anymore. I will say, you know, in a lot of ways, especially around the non-confrontation piece, that's a big one for people. And I think sometimes they can hear that and say, well, well, should I be confrontational if I'm doing opposite action? A great example of this is like um, students, whether undergraduate or graduate, who describe themselves as non-confrontational and for that reason do not ask for help from their professors when they're struggling. So we're not saying go be confrontational. We're saying if you notice that you back away from asking for help or you back away from letting people know that the way they're affecting you is hurting you, it's not be confrontational. Mm -hmm. It's can we ask for our needs to get met? Yeah. And that'll actually lead us into our last component. But before we go into the last component, I want to actually read. So each emotion has maybe an emotion-driven behavior or urge related to it. And I was struggling to figure it out to like recall on the fly. So I pulled it up. Some emotion-driven behaviors for anger, for example, are attacking, criticizing, hurting, shouting, Mm -hmm. an opposite action for anger would be to validate, to avoid or distract, and using a soft voice. So it's really the opposite of what the urge is to do when you have that emotion. Really, really helpful for a lot of folks. So moving into the last component of DBT, and I think we could spend a ton of time on this. So I really want to be aware of the fact that I think there are a lot of other episodes where we talk about relationships. And this last component is interpersonal effectiveness. And notice that I think that you really do need to have a solid grounding in the three other components, distress, tolerance, mindfulness, and emotion regulation, to be able to engage in interpersonal effectiveness, to be able to have a relationship with someone that feels attuned to both people's needs. Do you want to talk more about this one? Sure. Yeah. So under the umbrella of interpersonal effectiveness, there's assertiveness, knowing what you want, asking for what you want negotiating conflicts or conflicting wants, getting information about what other people need or want, modulating intensity. This means moving up or down, side to side, shifting the level of intensity we're experiencing. I statements, which you'll notice has come up now in three of the components, active listening, saying no, and then this lovely acronym RAVEN. Uh, Being as we've talked about a lot of these components, you know, whether it's that like naming your needs, getting information from other people about their needs, I statements. I'm wondering if you can kind of go in a little bit on the Raven piece and talk about what Mm -hmm. that acronym means. Absolutely will. I want to say one little quick thing about modulating intensity, Mm -hmm. which is asking yourself two different questions. 
Number one, how urgent is this need on a scale from zero to 10? So like in this relationship. And the second question is how vulnerable is the other person or the relationship at this moment? And that will help you decide when or if to navigate a conflict and also how intense, how strong to be in asking for what you want. So for example, if the need for you is a 10 and the relationship vulnerability is really not very vulnerable, you can be pretty intense. You know, you don't have to worry so much about how much the relationship can tolerate. So Raven is this really cool acronym that helps to just reminders of how to navigate a conflict with another person. So Raven stands for the following, and this is, I'm going to read directly from the Dialectical Behavior Therapy Skills Workbook because I just love the way they said it. So uh, R stands for relax, to accept conflict calmly. And here's this part that I would love to underline, bold, italicize, take a deep breath before Hmm. you say the next thing. I think if people did that, things would be different. Um, Release tension as you exhale. So that's the R. A stands for avoid the aversive. So Hmm. keep in mind the aversive strategies you might be attempted to use. So attacking, yelling, name calling, guilt tripping, all of those things that you might be tempted to use and monitor what you say in order to avoid them. V stands for validate the other person's need or concern. Focus on a fair, mutually agreeable outcome where both people can get some of their needs met. I think that's really important too. Like I often talk about assertive communication, which is all kind of what this, this is an umbrella for assertive communication is assertiveness is being able to consider your needs and the needs of someone else simultaneously and get some of your needs met, at least some of them. Ideally, all of them. E stands for examine your values. So how do you want to be treated in a relationship? How do you want to treat others? What do you want to achieve, not only regarding the conflict, but in this relationship? So if you're someone who, for example, if you value kindness and you find yourself pulled to or actually engaging in like name calling, Mm -hmm. I think you have this opportunity to really check yourself and to shift something so that you can be aligned with your values and you can be aligned with what you want to be and receive in a relationship. Lastly, N stands for neutral voice. Keep anger and contempt out of your voice. And I think contempt is an important word because Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of the researchers, but there's plenty of research specifically around how contempt is basically the thing that kills relationships. It is the killer because it just makes this other person feel completely undeserving of your love and that there's nothing they can do to be good enough. So contempt is the relationship killer, but yet I think it does absolutely happen in relationships Mm -hmm. where you feel that and you want even momentarily and it gets expressed and then it causes harm. Yeah. So it's interesting. Maybe it wasn't the same article, but I read that also and it's just something I'm Mm -hmm. aware of and interested by. And what is V? Do you mind telling me again what V is? Validate their needs, something like that. I already turned the page. (laughs) Validate the other person's need or concern. Okay. So even in something, let's say that there's like a heated discussion with your partner. One can say, I can feel myself getting angry right now. So I'm going to go take a deep breath. And in the same breath, we can also validate, I totally understand why for our partner, you're feeling overwhelmed right now or something. What I'm highlighting right now is that I think what a lot of 
Raven asks us to do is the dialectic piece, right? Like we are holding all of these different experiential, emotional, cognitive, bodily experiences all at the same time. And if the best thing one can do in the moment, like if we haven't mastered this, because obviously it takes time, honestly, the best thing we can do is take a deep breath, take some space if we need to, validate somebody else and see if our needs are getting met. And all of those things even come from, you know, all of these different components from DBT. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling like, oh, this could be helpful, I encourage all of you, not just to check out the interpersonal effectiveness piece, but to look on, as Jen said, how they build upon each other. Because when we master these other pieces, it really positively impacts our interpersonal effectiveness and relationships. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So that being said, those are the core components of DBT. So I forgot to mention earlier that typical like hardcore DBT treatment involves once a week therapy, sometimes Mm -hmm. phone calls and a group. Mm -hmm. So know that like, there's absolutely no way that we could cover everything in an hour. And so what I was hoping when we talked about this is that it would give people a sense of, okay, I need to work on this. This is something that I know I struggle with. And so you can go do a deeper dive and, or you can reach out to us and maybe we can do a deeper dive in another Mm -hmm. episode. You can ask your therapist about it. You can do a little bit more research. And I realized I said the the title of this workbook, but the title of the workbook is the Dialectical Behavior Therapy Skills Workbook by Matthew McKay, Jeffrey Wood, and Jeffrey Brantley. And this is the workbook that I think I find very helpful for a lot of working with a lot of my clients. But again, the original therapy was developed by Marsha Linehan, her colleagues. Mm -hmm. So... Anything else top of mind, top of heart before we move into? No, McKay, a professor at my school. (laughs) Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, nothing really. What I can say is to Jen's point, like it is quite intensive, quote unquote, treatment. The group that Jen's mentioning, you're going probably like three times a week, plus the individual therapy, plus phone calls and homeworks. Like one of the reasons it is so effective is because of its intensity in how we engage in it. And that doesn't mean picking up one of these books or beginning to learn these skills wouldn't be helpful. I think that they're all tremendously helpful. And these are skills that like even I use. It just, I think it's important to say that, that like we're not putting this out there trying to not walk the walk. I absolutely walk this walk. I walk this walk all day. I walk miles and I find it very helpful my life before and after dialectical thinking is very different. Yeah. And I do think, yeah, it, the therapy itself, when someone really has a history or is currently in a lot of crisis, it is an intense therapy because it needs to be because all of these things like dialectical thinking are being done at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you might be really working on distress tolerance, but you still have to engage in some interpersonal effectiveness. You have to try Mm-hmm. And these are all asks that all of us have to navigate. And mm-hmm. so I think there's places for all of us to grow here. And all of these are beneficial for everyone. And interestingly, before we move on to the skills, one thing that has been kind of interesting. So there is a quite famous YouTuber. She has a following, or excuse me, they have a following of about 6 million people. And they are famous for having really difficult interpersonal relationships. And often 
negatively impacting their relationships. And they recently came out with a diagnosis of BPD and have been sharing their DBT treatment experience. And so it's interesting because a person with a platform of 6 million people, it's kind of like a hot topic right now, at least in like the YouTube world. There's a lot of people looking at this person's behavior and also seeing that they're doing DBT. So I just think it's interesting that it's kind of like in Mm -hmm. the zeitgeist right now. Yeah. But either way, again, like all of these things are helpful. And I would tell anybody to do these skills if there's any area that feels either out of control or distressing in their lives. Any area could be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it is time for us to meditate. What do you think? Sure. I chose, you know, along the lines of this episode, I chose a meditation from this book that I named a minute ago. And this is a meditation specifically for practicing being in the present moment and recognizing judgments. Mm. So in order to start, as we always do, I'd like you to just find a comfortable seat and a place where maybe you won't be disturbed for the next about 10 minutes. And if it's comfortable to you, go ahead and close your eyes. If not, finding a gentle, soft gaze past the tip of your nose. So start by taking a few slow, long breaths and just relax. Now keeping your eyes closed, focus your attention on the weight of your body as it rests on the seat in which you're sitting. Notice the weight of your feet and legs resting on the ground. Notice the weight of your hands and arms resting. Notice the weight of your head resting on top of your neck. Mentally scan your body from head to toe and notice any sensations that you feel. Now notice any tension you might be feeling anywhere in your body and imagine the tension melting away like wax in the hot sun. Again, take your time to scan your body for any tension and keep taking slow, deep breaths. When you are finished scanning your body, move your focus to your thoughts and judgments. Simply notice any thoughts or judgments that arise in your mind, and when they do, allow them to float by in whatever way feels successful and helpful to you. For some people, that's allowing them to pass by like a cloud in the sky, leaves on a stream, Whatever way helps you let go of them, allow them to pass by. Allow the thoughts and judgments to leave you without getting stuck on them. Take a minute to do this and keep breathing slow, long breaths.
Now we're going to focus our attention on using this skill with one of our senses, and it can be done with any or all of the senses, but today we're going to focus on the sense of touch. So direct your attention to your sense of touch. Notice the sensation of whatever your hands are resting on. Or, while keeping your eyes closed, reach out with one of your hands to touch an object that is within reach. You can also touch the chair you're sitting on, or touch your leg. Notice what the object feels like. Notice if it is smooth or rough. Notice if it's pliable or rigid. Notice if it's soft or solid. Notice what the sensations feel like on the skin of your fingertips. If your thoughts begin to distract you, simply return your focus to the object that you're touching. Take a minute to do this and keep breathing slow, long, deep breaths. When you are finished noticing any touch sensations, once again, redirect your focus to your thoughts and judgments. Notice any thoughts or judgments that arise in your mind, and when they do, allow them to float away by whatever means you found successful. Allow the thoughts and judgments to leave you without getting stuck on them. Take a minute to do this and keep breathing long, slow, deep breaths. And slowly, as you're ready, begin to bring your attention back to the full room around you, beginning to wiggle fingers and toes, maybe also taking a moment to notice what all of that felt like for you. And then when you're ready, open your eyes and come on back to the room. Thank you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I will also add that this, that was about one tenth of the actual full meditation, which mm-hmm. asks you to check through all of your senses and actually asks you to pause for a minute between each little section. Um, so obviously I didn't do that, but that is an option to you, you know, to do mm-hmm. the same exercise, but guiding yourself and taking 
longer time between each sense. So sight, Mm -hmm. smell, hearing. And what can be helpful is if you're going through the meditation, for example, and you find that one piece is either particularly helpful, stands out for you, is particularly calming, you can always turn that into your own little safe grounding thing. So it can be a helpful tool to kind of figure out where your grounding skills are. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for hanging in there. If you have questions, Mm -hmm. feel free to reach out. Or if there's something you'd like us to talk more about, feel free to reach out. And then until next time, have a good one and we'll see you soon. Yeah. Thank you for being here and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.